Hi, everyone, and welcome. This is Seek Sustainable Japan. I'm JJ Walsh, your host in Hiroshima, Japan. And today I have the pleasure of talking with Brett Rasmussen in Ojika, Nagasaki. Thank you so much for joining, Brett. No problem. Pleasure to be here. It's wonderful to have you.、Uh, yeah. I'm so glad to, to see that you have decent Wi Fi, even though you're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, there's. All right, so let's just give people an idea where Utica is because it is next, it's kind of next to Kyushu, right? Can you describe yeah, it? It's off the west coast of Kyushu, the west,、uh, west of Nagasaki, about 60 kilometers、uh, off the coast. So it takes、um, the fastest ferry is out of Sasebo,、it、takes about an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, if the weather is good, it kind of only that one only runs when the seas are calm.、Uh, or you can come out of there's also a slower boat out of Sasebo, which you can kind of see on the, on the map you've got there. Or you can come from Fukuoka, a little farther north, and that、uh, takes about five hours or so to get to Ojika, and it kind of just hops down the chain of the Goto Islands there. Yeah. And you were actually working in tourism before you started doing old house renovation, right?、Mm-hmm. Uh, the Goto Islands are actually a, a pretty popular area to visit、um, for people from Kyushu or people traveling around Japan. I saw、uh, some of the、uh, travelers' responses saying Ojika was their favorite place to visit.、Um, so I think、yeah. you guys have a lot of great appeal there.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the sort of Most beautiful villages of Japan. You know, I don't know if you know of, of that site that there's, I think there's maybe about 50 of them now around Japan these days, but,、uh, you know, sort of small villages that, that sort of retain some of the, the quaintness of, of、uh, rural Japan areas. Yeah. How, how many people are living there, did you say? Yeah, there's、uh, about 2,200, between 2,200 and 2,300 now. And when you were doing tourism and then tourism, inbound tourism started slowing down. Was that when you started looking at some of the old houses and starting to do renovations?、Um, I actually started doing the renovations quite a bit earlier than sort of the, in, than the inbound tourism going down. This was maybe, oh, how many years ago? Seven, seven years ago, eight years ago. I mean, really, really, from when I, when I came back to Japan in, in 2010,、uh, myself and, and my partner at that time started by, by moving into a, an unlivable house. It was filled with garbage and,、um, you know, just totally, totally a wreck, and、uh, started by getting that place cleaned up and, and moving in. And that kind of started things.、Um, but we were also doing this sort of cultural experience.、Um, Tourism program、uh, and bicycle tours and that sort of thing、uh, at the same time. And then the sort of house renovation thing just sort of, I don't know, it <laughs> sort of slowly built up until, until、uh, I had gained enough skills that I could sort of do it、um, professionally. Yeah, that's great.、Um, and I saw that you were doing、uh, collaborations with Somokosha,、uh, John Stolenmeyer's、uh, business in Okayama. And I also saw you were working with Kyle Holsuter,、mm-hmm. also Okayama plasterer. And、yeah. then we, we met at the Minka Summit, and、uh, I saw you guys together, and I thought, ooh, another new person to talk about renovations of Kominka. I love it. Yeah, yeah, we did that. Project、uh, that was a project that, that myself and, and the other、uh, two people that kind of、um, helped me out with this, this Okibi team that I, that I have going.、Um, we renovated this, this old house here on Ojika, and、uh, they're using it as a, as a yado now, a little、uh, guest house.、Uh, and we invited、uh, Soma Kosha out to help with some of the structural、um, work on that house. And then we had a little money、uh, in the budget to invite、um, to do kind of a workshop. We got a little bit of money from, from the town government、um, to hold a workshop. And so we invited Kyle out、uh, and did a, a Tataki Doma workshop together. So the, the pound, pounded earth、uh, entryway. 
invited a lot of the local Ojika people and and pounded the entryway together. So that was really fun. Wow, really good. How often do you do the workshops? The workshops look really fantastic. Yeah, I mean, when we have projects going, we try to, you know, let people come and, and participate. Generally, like when I'm doing earth walls and things like that, um, I like to have people able to to help out, especially with the mixing of the, the earth. We kind of do it all with the with barefoot, you know, so when you're adding the straw into the earth mix, it's always good to have you know, an, a group of volunteers to come out there and help you stomp around in the mud for a while. Yeah, excellent. Uh, we had a comment already, wonderful, uh, from Sanjeev. He said, nice to see somewhere I've been to. The island is beautiful. Hearing the story of how this island attracted traditional vendors was a wonderful one. The ferry mm -hmm. ride to the island was hard, though. Big sea waves in four hours. Yeah, so it's quite oh, a yeah. commitment. Must have come from there, Fukuoka right? then, yeah. And in, in the winter, especially the the waves can be rough, and the ferries get canceled quite regularly. So, yeah, it can be a tough time to try and make it out here to the island. Yeah, uh, let's talk a little bit about the house you're in. That was a house that you did some renovations in, right? Mm -hmm. I can see some beautiful beams and everything. How much did you do to this house behind you? This, yeah, I didn't do. Um, too much as far as like changing the layout I'll, maybe if i move aside you can kind of see the the way it looks behind me here um mostly i i sort of cleaned it out and removed as much of the the sort of modern <laughs> modern sort of the mid 70s 80s touches uh that had been um sort of attached to it so in the engawa space which is out these where's the <laughs> out these sliding doors here um they had all been covered up with with aluminum 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 sliding doors and aluminum sort of railing out the front so i took all of that off and now it just is an open air engawa uh there's no doors at all i haven't i haven't built any sort of wooden framed glass doors or anything it's just totally open air and then if it's bad weather or rain i i shut the the wooden exterior amado so I may I may build some uh, wooden windows in there at some point, but but for now it's you know it's it's fairly uh, warm most of the year round here on Ojika, so it's not um, it's not too much of a, a trouble to not have glass in that area. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I in the in the entryway the doma. Let's see, maybe you can see it here. Uh, it might be kind of difficult, but um, this was concrete when I when I bought the place um so i ripped up all the concrete and did a traditional uh pounded earth floor in there the tataki tataki doma wow great and not only are you renovating old buildings but you're also reusing a lot of like salvaged materials um that you find in some of the buildings that are just a bit too far gone where you can't really even think about renovating right yeah yeah, I try to use as much um, reused material as possible. I mean, this this house uh, that I'm in now, I think including some, at that time, I didn't have that many tools. This was maybe five years ago when I, when I bought this house, um, including the tools that I needed to do some of this work. I've only spent probably uh, $1,000 US on this, on this house. And most of it was, you know, all the materials that I'm using were, were were um, reused materials from other places. Um, I mean, that's something I really try to do a lot of in my work. Um, this past winter, I built a, a sauna at a bathhouse that recently opened on the island and and uh, reused old old beams and pillars. Um, and all of the earth for the walls is reused. I mean, that so I probably ended up with maybe 70% um reuse materials in the construction of that of that sauna wow that's awesome i even saw um one place you were talking about uh reusing the plaster and because you were reusing some of the old plaster from another building you didn't have to ferment it to make it stronger mm -hmm. is that right yeah it's a, a much quicker process um when you're reusing the the old earth it's it's got all of that sort of 
um, the sort of, I don't know what you would call it, the, the, the binding properties sort of already in it. It's already gone through that fermenting process. Um, you do have to kind of add some new materials to it. I add uh, new straw, you know, and we mix, mix that in and you might have to adjust the consistency a little if you need to add some more sand or, or whatever, but um, generally you can use it pretty quickly. I, I do kind of usually let it sit for a, a little while, but um, you know, originally depending on the area and, and the earth, you know, it might've been fermented anywhere from three months to a year. Um, but when I reuse it like this and add new straw in, um, you know, it's anywhere from a few days to a couple of weeks that I, that I let it sit. And that kind of depends on the time of year as well too, what the temperature is like outside. Um, I've been so interested in all your videos that you have on your YouTube channel. It's so fun. Um, I'm just going to pick out a few things that I found really new to me that I didn't know. Sure. Uh, you were talking about how the ceiling panels were fitted together with little slivers of a bamboo that mm -hmm. were to secure them into the ceiling. Can you just talk about that for a minute? I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, this is a really ingenious way of um, sort of connecting the boards uh, together in these these ceilings that you find that are kind of suspended. Um, they're kind of hanging ceilings from hanging from the beams above and and it uses these little bamboo uh, angled pegs to connect each of the boards together. It's not really holding them down to the frame. It's sort of just um, using the pressure of the joint to sort of push one board against the other and that keeps them um, keeps them nice and flat and, and lined up in place. It's really fun when you're going through these old buildings to find those little sort of ingenious tex techniques that, you know, were used back when, when uh, you didn't have power tools and, you know, big boxes of thousands of, of screws or whatever to just dump, dump, you know, just go down the line and, and stick everything together. Yeah. Everything um, was a lot you, more. You also talk about you also talk about the earthquake resistance of these old houses. Um, and then you have built some really beautiful joinery. Was that really hard to learn? That seems like the highest hurdle for someone learning traditional Japanese house carpentry. Is that right? Uh, I mean, yeah, it, it's uh, definitely a, a, <laughs> an important part. And there's lots, lots of different joinery for all kinds of different purposes and um i mean that's something that that i'm still every every time i do a project and every day i'm working on and and trying to get better at at the joinery and you know getting everything more precise and 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 uh you know what sort of proportions to do everything in and um originally i was sort of doing that just by by learning by sort of dismantling things and and measuring and seeing how everything was was put together and slowly um you know trying it out myself and then slowly putting together those skills over the years let's let's talk about dismantling i mean to me that's the most incredible part of japanese building design is that it can be dismantled without wrecking all the pieces and it could be dismantled and then rebuilt somewhere else mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. That's what it was. It's just absolutely incredible to realize that. Um, mm. And you, you have some videos or on your Instagram where you're showing you're dismantling it yourself. Aren't yeah. these beams like crazy heavy? Oh yeah, so heavy. They're, I mean, the the one that I that I did last summer. Uh, I mean, just these huge pine beams, and the pine is so heavy. You know, yeah, these, <laughs> you can kind of see it there. And, and I'm just, I had to, I'm doing all of that by myself with no, um, you know, I don't have cranes or anything like that. So I, I'm having to figure out how to like leverage things out of the position that they're in and make it so that it, it, I can lower it down safely without, you know, destroying anything. Thankfully, that house didn't have any other houses nearby. So there were certain, you know, times where, if I, as long as I could get the beam at the right angle, I could kind of tip it, tip it over. And there's a nice, you know, open space of land there for it to, to land on without doing any damage to, 
a nearby house or anything like that. But um, yeah, it was quite the quite the task and quite the learning experience. Always, always a great learning experience to see how everything's put together. Um, and this that house is what produced that probably. 60 to 70 percent of the materials that I used to to build the sauna also on the island and the the great thing about that is that that house had been moved from another part of the island to that location previously so this is now with those parts being used in the sauna that's at least the third you know the third iteration of a, a building that has been uh created with those same same materials Wow, it's just incredible. Uh, without cranes or even without other people, have you had any injuries? I don't even want to ask it, but no. That, thankfully, I have not had any. Oh, knock on wood, any major, eh? Yeah, any major <laughs> injuries to this point. Amazing, and yeah, you're was... using these old Japanese tools. Tell us about the tools a little bit. Yeah, well, that I mean, that hammer that you saw there is a, a pretty common sort of tool for for carpenters in japan you know when you're when you're fitting these uh joints together you you kind of coax them together with the with the big wooden wooden ballot you know it doesn't it doesn't really damage the the wood that you're pounding on it's got a nice big surface to it um yeah it's a great great tool it makes a great makes a fun sound you know when when we had uh somakosha out here and we were doing work together we had lots of fun uh, doing the sort of vocalizations that you you use when you're sort of doing things as a team. So a lot of those beams, you know, you've got to put them in from from two places or more at at once. If you're just pounding on one side, then the beam kind of you know it goes in at an angle. So you get two people and you want it to be coordinated. So you've got this this sort of chant that you do to keep everything in rhythm and um, sounds sounds really cool. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I actually, I've never seen this saw in action until I saw this on your Instagram, but I've seen this huge saw on display inside pubs or izakayas around Shikoku. Um, yeah. I've never seen it actually in use. This is really cool. Yeah, this was, this is, that's a saw I, I picked up on, uh, on Yahoo auctions and, uh, when when John and the guys from Somokosha were out here doing work with us on on this on this house, uh, Yasa is the name of the house. We had this beam that that um, a huge beam that needed to be sort of connected overhead, and just kind of broke out the saw and said, "Well, you know, let's let's do this one by hand." And so I, I don't know what time that is at night. John John tuned up the the blade on it and we we were cutting that section out at I don't know what time it was 8 8 p.m 9 p.m or something some <laughs> after hours hand sawing there amazing I love it um and you seem to really love the plastering and the bamboo lattice um mm -hmm. part of the job it's so beautiful can you walk us through a little bit of the process sure um yeah, this, the center of the wall is is made with with uh, bamboo that is woven together with um, straw rope. It's usually rice straw rope. Sometimes there's some hemp um, mixed into it. But uh, when the project is small enough, I I make the rope myself as well. I learned how to how to um, twist the twist the straw by hand and make a rope. It's actually not that not that difficult once you sort of practice at it. So. You can whip out a good a good length of rope fairly quickly, um, but yeah. So I, I go and, and harvest the bamboo generally um, in November, December ish, um, when there's less moisture in it, less bugs. Go and harvest it, and then um, store it for a while, and then split it and kind of get it ready for use in the walls. And and I go and get the earth from other houses that are being torn down, and kind of ready all those materials. In advance, um, and then when it's time to do the wall, yeah, you know, make the the bamboo lattice and tie it all together with the rope, and then start um, plastering the earth on there. And usually that happens in you know multiple multiple layers, depending on how fine you want to 
finish the wall. You can either finish it sort of in this rough, the rough state, um, or you can progressively sort of um, refine the the earth and get it get it uh, I don't know, nicer and nicer, and then eventually up to the the shikui, the lime plaster, uh, if you want it to be sort of fully fully finished. So beautiful. Um, and I love to see that this is your local DIY shop, right? You just go yeah. into the bamboo forest if you need bamboo poles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Are yeah, most of your materials from, from, the, from the local area? Do, I'm most sorry, of your materials, do most of your materials come from like natural areas or reused from other houses? Yeah, I, I only use natural materials. I mean, uh, as much as I mean, you know, occasionally there's a, a few other things that that have to be put in there. But but as much as possible, everything is natural and and from as close by as I can get it. So uh, the bamboo is coming from from the bamboo forests here on the island. The earth is all recycled earth from from uh, you know old houses that are that are being you know dismantled or, or falling apart here. I uh, go and get that, and then you know as much of the wood as I can reuse is is um, coming from from here on the island. Um, I mean, it's partially because of of I mean the primary reason is because I want to reuse all of this material as as much as possible. It's there. It, it doesn't cost anything. It's um, you know it's totally sustainable. It comes from the earth, and then when the house has reach the end of its lifetime sometime it, it just goes back to the the local earth um but then there's also an economic com component of it as well it costs a lot of money to bring materials out here to the to the island um so as much as you can get locally it just keeps the cost down as well has there been a lot of demand for people asking you to do work um you said there's not a lot of people doing the work that you're doing there right Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, there have been a number of folks that have moved into the island, generally younger, younger folks. And, and um, you know, that's kind of the, the main group of folks that I've been been doing work with um, for the most part. But but there's also some um, people from Ojika itself that that have asked me to do some work. Uh, there's a letterpress, an, an old Kapan um, uh, so it's the the sort of metal letterpress machine uh, shop just just down the road here from my house. And and uh, the the young woman who took over that place had asked me to to come in and and just do a really simple job of removing this one wall that was in the middle of her workshop. Um, and I went in and opened up that wall. And when I opened up the wall, it was just like termite city all over the place. And the beams above it were all, I mean, like I could, there's a, a beam that's probably this thick and I could stick my hand up into it. And like, I'm tickling the top of the beam <laughs> through the center. So totally rotted out. And um, that became a huge project of, of <laughs> taking out all the old beams and putting in new stuff. and. Um, ended up being a really cool project. Um, but yeah, so there's, there's local folks and then, and then a lot of, of um, younger uh, implants to the island that I've been doing work with as well. Great. Uh, we have a great question from Wendy. She says, wonderful projects. I'm curious to know about the local reaction and did any town residents come to the workshops? It would be great to know more about how you organize the workshops. Mm. Yeah, we had lots of of uh, people come to the workshops from the town. And in fact, I mean, being an island that's hard to get to, um, it's harder for people outside the island to come and, and join the workshops. You know, you have to sort of commit the time to it. You'd have to stay somewhere overnight. So so pretty much all of the participants are, are coming from uh, the local area of all different ages. You know, we had 80 year old uh bachans that were <laughs> you know in there helping us pound the pound the earth floors and uh and then you know school-aged kids and and families and 
people of all all different ages. You know, the the folks from the town office. We had a you know a couple uh, people from the Yakuba come and volunteer. So yeah, all kinds of all kinds of folks. That's great. And you said one of the workshops you had Kyle come out from Okayama to mm -hmm. do plastering with you guys. Is that right? He he helped with the the earth floor part. Yeah. Okay. That's a that's a it was a, a fairly large floor um, and that's something that's a thing where you can having more people is very helpful. <laughs> the more people you can have sort of helping pound down the earth is is great. And then there's there's also a, a team that you have sort of doing the mixing, mixing up the material, another team that's bringing it into the uh, into the entryway and then a team that's sort of pounding it. So, yeah, so here you for this this workshop here, you're tackling the bamboo grove to get some yeah. materials, is that right? Yep, yep, exactly. Yeah, the whole, uh, everybody's, this house was everybody so is, overgrown. Uh, go ahead. This house was so overgrown. I mean, you, you couldn't see anything. It, um, we have some some before and after photos on, on the video sort of describing this renovation. And it's just the house is just, I mean, there's vines growing up over it. If, if you look in the bathroom, there's there's you know, leafy plants draping down from the ceiling. And, and there was probably a, a, like a foot thick mat of plant matter and, and soil all over the, the back section of the house that sort of uh, ended up getting rolled up like a carpet. <laughs> and that we found this, we found a stairway behind the house that leads up to that bamboo grove that we had absolutely no idea even existed. I mean, it was totally invisible because it was covered by you know tree small trees and um overgrown with plants and all kinds of stuff so yeah really great to get help clearing clearing that stuff out is that the yasa house because i i want to show some of the video before and after photos that you had mm -hmm. Was that yeah. the yasa? Mm -hmm. okay so uh, before we go there this is the workshop with kyle where you're doing the pounded floor is that right yeah exactly yeah so these are some of the local school kids, elementary school kids helping us out with the with the pounding there. That's, and that's great. probably lunch lunch break. <laughs> and we had a variety of different uh pounding implements. It's kind of one of the bigger uh round round pounders also made with with wood from, you know, that had come out of an old house that had been dismantled. Wow. Nice old pine beam there. There's Kyle checking the checking the level. How how has the pounded floor held up over time? Uh, this floor, it held up okay in places. It, I think in looking back on it now, I probably would have would have added a little more clay to the mix. I think maybe we we went a little hit heavy on the sand, um, and so some of the sand kind of in certain places is is coming up. Um, and when I when I compare it to the floor in my house that I. I did a heavier clay mix, heavier on the on the clay. Um, it's holding up uh, better. It seems that that clay is really kind of keeping things together. So um, that's a. I mean, it, that kind of work with earth is oftentimes a a, a learning experience, and you've got to kind of <laughs> try things a few a few different ways before you kind of figure out what's best. And especially yeah. you know working with different. Um, different types of earth in different places you know every every location's soil is a little bit a little bit different and you're going to you're going to need to change up the mix a little to to fit to fit uh, the material that you're, that you're working with and then you have uh some new hurdles occasionally from mother nature too right uh mm -hmm. you had you had some pictures where you had done a project and then you had a big storm that came through and ripped off some of the doors of yeah. the project yeah. so are storms pretty bad there because you're on a remote island they can be yeah there's you know the typhoon season usually comes through in the fall um and especially lately with you know climate change and all that kind of stuff um it it seemed like the typhoons were getting worse this past this past year was really really mild we got we got lucky and there wasn't really even a single major typhoon that came through the area um but yeah, that's that's a photo from <laughs> that one that I had just put a brand new sort of tobukuro, a box for holding the the sort of storm doors 
on the side of the house. But unfortunately, so that that doorway was all closed up, but the north side of the house still didn't have any windows or anything on it. So when the typhoon kind of came and was was spinning and the wind started coming from the north and blowing through that open window, all of that wind kind of came and pushed on the inside of those storm doors and just, you know, just ripped them right off the side of the house. So had to re redo that part. <laughs> were, you, were you able to fix it without too much yeah. trouble? Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's yep. good. Yeah. It, but it's such a beautiful location, but you could see how you've got a lot of exposure when a storm comes through, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This, this island of Ojika is, is kind of unique among the other islands in the chain. Uh, it was sort of created with a totally different volcanic, um, what would you call it, a volcanic movement or whatever. The other islands are much older uh, and were sort of thrust upwards from, from the sea and so have these really steep sort of mountainous terrains and deep coastlines, whereas Ojika was formed much more recently uh, with a, a much sort of milder volcanic eruption that sort of slowly spread out into the sea. And so you've got this mild topography which allows you to do farming there's rice fields all over the place you know uh, people are growing vegetables like crazy and uh, really you know good area for farming and then shallow seas so you've got um, very easy access to sort of shellfish and much smaller fishing boats um, that can that can or could especially in in you know sort of pre-modern days uh, have access to a lot more of the the bounty from the sea and so the, the island of Ojika was a much wealthier island than, than a lot of the surrounding islands. Um, but also then with the, with the sort of less mountains, more, more uh, prone to damage from storms. But that's sort of one of the reasons that Ojika has so many Kominka, these old folk houses remaining, is, is that it, it has this sort of history of being um, a wealthier island because of the flatter topography, the ability to farm, and then and then the ability to go out into the sea and and um, get things like like abalone and and uh, turbine shells and that sort of thing. Yeah, and uh, the the appeal of the area, of course, you've got a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Uh, Alex Curry's done a project there, uh, like Sarah is just mentioning now. Uh, mm -hmm. She said she wasn't able to go to Ojika. She was in the Goro Islands just recently. She wants to go back. And uh, yeah. uh, you were in tourism. So uh, as you remodel some of these old buildings and, and help people do like the sauna or the Ofudo house, the Sento and other guest houses, when tourism resumes, you guys are going to be in a much better position to welcome people, right? Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> that's the that's the idea. Um, the Yeah, the guest house had been, it started basically like the year before, <laughs> year before COVID. So they kind of got started and things were, you know, going well. They were getting a lot of customers and then, and then COVID hit and, and, uh, you know, things kind of shut down for a while, unfortunately, but, but now they're, now they're getting guests back and it looks like things are going to be, um, going to be doing well for them. Yeah. And then, and then the bathhouse just opened up this spring. Uh, and yeah, hopefully they'll be benefiting quite a bit from the tourists coming back as well. Oh, that'd be great. Um, so this is your uh, start to finish slideshow. I just have the one section where you show the before and after. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you want to talk us through as we're looking at the before and after pictures here? Sure. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the condition of the house when I first found it. I, I had um, been looking at it for many years and uh, finally was able to to start working on it. And you can kind of see there just the progress of <laughs> moving from the exterior redoing the exterior siding here's behind the house the sort of jungle condition that it was in there's uh <laughs> after after cutting down some that's how it looked in the in the end some of the the rooms lots of yeah big oh, changes such a beautiful job Brett. up in the second floor Amazing. Beautiful sort of curved ceiling. There's a number of houses in, in uh, Ujika that have that curved ceiling. 
And so this this is a guest house, you said? Yep. Yeah, it's sort of like like the Mimpaku style, bed and breakfast kind of run by young a young couple that uh, moved out to the island. There's some of the rot uh, in the beams and the replacement work that Soma Kosha came out and, and did for us. So beautiful. Yeah, I mean, you can see this this section of the house was yeah here's yeah there's the weeds kind of growing through in the in the bath area um, but yeah there were major sections of the house that needed a lot of a lot of work um, the vines had grown up under the roof tiles and made it so that when it rained the water was just kind of streaming down into the house and and uh of course when you've got those kind of conditions going on then then the termites come in and start eating everything away and um, so there was some really major structural work that had to be done um, to done on this house to to make it safe again. Yeah. How I mean, do you get somebody in to help you survey and to see if it's beyond help, or are you kind of making these judgments yourself, Brett? Yeah, I am kind of making the judgments on whether they're whether it's worthwhile saving it or you know or uh how much work is going to need to be put into it to to save it like i i i have a a good enough i guess confidence in that that i can that i can judge sort of what what can can be done what is possible and what isn't possible or or i mean anything's possible but but <laughs> um depending on on what the budget is and and how much work you're able to put into it um you might decide to sort of go forward with it or or not um you know like we we talked about all of these components are kind of designed to to fit together and and be repairable um so anything anything is sort of repairable on the house it's just how much effort are you able and and willing to to put into to doing it um and i, I feel like at this point i've, I've gotten a, a pretty good eye as to you know what's possible and and how much time and money is it going to cost to do to do certain repairs and even if i'm not able to to do them myself you know if it requires somebody with with an, a more advanced level of skill like like soma kosha or something um i think i usually have a good idea of of you know i also also what they're capable of you know what kind of work they can do and um and how much it might it might cost as well yeah. Uh, well, you said like the house you're in now, you you were able to renovate it and buy it, the house and land and renovation all for about a thousand US. Um, but some of the other projects that you're doing a little bit higher level, maybe for the guest house, did that cost a bit more? The guest house definitely yeah, had a, a higher cost to it. The initial place, I mean, they're they're borrowing it from the owner. Um, the owner didn't want to sell, so they they wrote up a contract with the with the owner, um, but they're borrowing it for for free, so it doesn't cost them any any money for the actual property. But the renovations themselves, you know, um, cost <laughs> cost money. But it, but it much more reasonable than than I think a lot of people assume or think, and and that's part of the the sort of philosophy that I work with using natural materials and reusing materials is that I can, um, not only is it is it a sustainable way, but it's also much more um, cost efficient. So, I mean, my, my bill for that place was uh, my work there. I mean, I don't know exactly what it, what it came to, but somewhere between 20 and, and $30,000 for everything that I did there. And then, and then Soma Kosha's work was, was separate um, from that, but that's you know redoing major major sections of the of the house. So it it doesn't have to be something that you spend you know uh, one hundred and fifty thousand or two hundred thousand US or or when the town does it. Some of these pro projects that the town has done, I mean, I just I'm astonished at how much they they spend on on redoing the houses. There's probably ten that the town has has done in total on the island and you know they spend like four hundred and fifty thousand dollars on these houses and and they're not even doing sort of like traditional work the, the earth walls are not being replaced with with sort of um 
you know, traditional sort of bamboo lattice walls or anything like that. And yeah, it, it just floors me how much, <laughs> what the bill is on some of those houses. And then I, and then I go and do the same thing for, for 30,000 or, you know, <laughs> whatever it's, it's sort of unbelievable. <laughs> wow. Well, do you, do you have time for more projects? Because after people hear about that, they might be coming over and buying a place <laughs> and getting you to work on it. Um, I, I do have uh, projects lined up for, for a, a little while now, but, but going down the road, yeah, there's plenty of opportunity for more projects to happen. That's awesome. Um, I would love to talk about the bathhouse. It seemed like such a fun project. Um, fun to watch you do it, I should point out. Uh, it looked like a lot of hard work. Um, did you build the frame? Did you build the whole sauna completely from scratch? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was an addition to the to the existing um, structure. So yeah, that was from from scratch. Using using a lot of the materials from the house that I had dismantled the previous uh, previous summer. Yeah, that was that was really fun. That was the first sort of structure that I had built from scratch. Everything prior to that had been you know repair or or renovation work. So it was really fun to be able to to create something new for a change. And and building a sauna, I had never you know I've never built a sauna and and definitely not a sauna with with um you know traditional um earthen walls um you know the the inside of the wall has we've got uh hinoki you know cypress um boards on it on the inside but the core of the wall is the traditional earth wall so yeah really really fun experiment it's so beautiful with the plaster. And of course, uh, like you said in your post, it's kind of a shame sometimes to cover it up and nobody sees all the the stages, all the process, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love I love the the time in between the layers when you could see kind of on that previous photo where you've got the, the really sort of rough base wall. Yeah, that one. And then I'm covering up the the nuki there, which is a structural component that that sort of ties the posts together. Uh, yeah, you can really see the nuki in 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 that photo, um, and so you, you usually want to put some sort of strengthening fiber over that when you're when you're plastering it to keep uh, prevent it from cracking and and stuff like that. So I what I do in that case is I'm I'm chopping up little sections of that woven rope, and then and then sort of setting them in into the earth by hand, and then pressing them in with the trowel, but because the, those little sections were from that woven rope, it's all this sort of like curly Q, <laughs> curly Q straw. Yeah. It looks really cool when you, when you uh, place it there. And so I, I'm always sort of hesitant to go over the top of that with another coat because I love the, the texture and the, and the look of that wall. Yeah. How how are you finding it? You've been doing this uh, renovation work for a few years now. Um, are you still enjoying it? You still mm. happy to get up and go do that project every day? Oh yeah, absolutely. I love I love sort of just dealing with with those materials and thinking about all the problems and how to solve them. Um, and I think especially the sort of repetitive or I, I mean i tend to do things uh more slowly than than uh the sort of modern style so i i really just sort of enjoy taking the time and and whether it be like shape you know creating the the joints with the chisels and just sort of sitting down and and working at it you know you you slowly see the shape come to be as you as you sort of carve away the wood or um especially the when i get doing the plastering um, it's just such a sort of peaceful, repetitive motion to, to sit there. The house is quiet. Um, you know, you're just sort of, you're concentrating really on trying, you know, making everything flat and really sort of practice movements and just a really enjoyable thing to do. And, and the, the fact that I'm able to do sort of each of those different steps of the house is just really, um, I mean, I think I'm just super lucky to be able to do that because I, I get this sort of range of different um, experiences. Then, you know, it's 
it's it's woodwork one day and then it's working with earth the next day or tile the next day and um yeah really really blessed to be able to be a part of of that whole um whole process is there a part of the process that's still really challenging for you uh, I saw one of your posts, you were talking about how pleased you were with the roof coming together. Uh, mm -hmm. The roof, I would imagine, is one of the more essential parts to get right, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always good to have a, a nice solid roof. Yeah. In place. Um, but I, the most, yeah, hmm. I actually find the roof to be not that, difficult to understand. I, I guess it's it's difficult when a lot of the roofs here on the island are still um, still the earth roofs. So they also have usually like a bamboo uh, bamboo lattice and then earth laid on top of that. Sometimes some some sugi bark in between. And then the, the tiles are just sort of pressed into place. Um, and a lot of times with that style of roof, you get over the years you get tiles that start to slide out of place as the as the earth sort of dries out and it, it gets kind of crumbly and the tiles will slide and and what a lot of um sort of repair jobs that were done they got cemented into place so maybe the roof started leaking because the tiles had slid yeah you can see how they slide there uh and then somebody wanted to just sort of fix it quick and quick and cheaply and so they hired somebody to come up there and and like fill in the gaps with with cement. Um, and what happens then is they basically just sort of cemented all of those tiles into the position where they're <laughs> where they're out of position. And so now if I am being asked to go and fix that, um, it's really it's really troublesome because it's all cemented together and it's all out of place and you can't really do a whole lot so that's that's maybe one of the sort of more frustrating <laughs> frustrating uh parts there is dealing with that yeah here you can see some of the photos of redoing the that earth style of of uh of roof yeah it's incredible that they stay on during storms mm -hmm. um and you could see how the concrete was put on try to to be like a stopgap uh, solution maybe when it was loose. Mm -hmm. But how difficult would that be to take it apart and rebuild it? Good job. Yeah, and the concrete is often, so it holds really well. I mean, it gets really hard, but the problem with, with, with concrete or with the cement is that then if you wanna do repairs, it makes it almost impossible because when you pull them off the, the concrete, you try and like separate two tiles, the tiles, probably 90% of the time are gonna break when you try and pull them apart. Whereas if you did it sort of the original way, the traditional way was to do it with, with shikwi, with the lime plaster. Um, and that holds them really, really well. Um, but it's also pliant enough, it's soft enough that when you tap on it with a hammer, it just releases. So that allows you then to re reuse those materials because you can actually get the plaster off of the, off of the tiles. So, I definitely, if anybody's watching and thinking about using cement or concrete to repair the their roof, definitely do not do it. <laughs> yeah, good advice from someone who's had to be on the other side of a project and take it apart again, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, I want to talk about your charcoal uh, making in a in a minute, but Wendy's got a good question about um, have you found any surprises in the structures like signed beams or old photos or other treasures? Mm. Uh, yeah, I often find, I find all kinds of interesting things. Um, sometimes old treasures, you know, old tools, stuff that I can use or, or um, stuff that obviously all kinds of stuff that can be reused in, in other projects. Um, but then I also find signs of of animal life that have lived there the um the house that i dismantled the past summer that had had lots of termite damage in it that's why one of the main reasons we had to take it down was because there were large sections that had had been eaten away by termites in one of the the main you know the the massive large beam in the in the uh 
top of the ceiling. It had been hollowed out by termites, but then uh, there had been, I think, several stages of different creatures making nests in the hollow of that beam. And so when I when I cut into it to sort of take it out in, in sections, I cut sort of right where that nest was, and I found like the remains of a, a mouse that had made a nest in there, and then I found uh, a snake skin, like a shed from a snake that had made its way in there and, and shed it, and then I found some some bird feathers and all kinds of <laughs> creatures that have found their way into uh, into the center of that main beam of the house. Wow, kind of and it was still standing. And it had like a, a history of all the animals that had lived in there in different stages. Amazing. Yeah, <laughs> there's also some, you find some more grisly discoveries from, from time to time, some skeletons. Oh, and, oh and, my gosh, crazy. Yeah, found many, many <laughs> skeletons in this locations, under the floors, under cabinets, in the ceilings. Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. So many different different types of animals. Oh, animals, <laughs> not people. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I was really interested. I thought you were talking about people. No, no, oh no. My that would be yeah. I might I might have to <laughs> quit this whole business if I started finding humans. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I thought there must be a lot of unsolved murderers or something on the island. How horrible. Okay, uh, let's talk about charcoal because a lot of, it seems like a lot of people on the island as part of the slow, sustainable life, um, they're using wood stoves for heating the bath, for cooking food, um, and then the sauna as well was a, a stove, right? Um, so you're making charcoal. It's so interesting. Can you just walk us through the process a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I I go through or go uh, make a year's worth of charcoal each kind of between the win uh, winter and spring seasons. All of my cooking is done with the charcoal that I that I make here at home. I don't. I'm not connected to gas. I don't have gas or or electric uh, appliances for cooking in here. So I do it all on the with the charcoal that I make. Um, and basically I. Um, I do it with with another family who who uh, live on the island to the south of me, and they have kind of a uh, they do some workshops there and and have a very sort of sustainable way of living and and grow all you know their own food and making their own all kinds of different uh, products, including including hams and bacon's and sausages. It's Hironta Muda if you if you want to look it up. Hironta Village. Once a month, you can get hams and bacons and stuff delivered to your house for those for those folks who are um non-vegan and, and whatnot anyways it's all free range locally grown stuff so um if you're into that sort of thing but anyways um yeah we we go and make charcoal they they make it for their household and then and then i make it for mine as well and and uh there's a kiln on the island that we that we rebuilt together uh about five or six years ago we rebuilt it um, and you can see there it's, it's filled up with, with, uh, wood. It loads from the top and basically I get through a year. What kind of wood are you using, Brett? Um, the best kind of wood on, that's available on the island down there is, is tsubaki, camellia wood. That's sort of the lightest, hardest wood that is readily available, but we, it's for home use generally. So, so any kind of tree that that you know is maybe um it has gotten in the way it's overgrown and you know over hanging over the roadway or something and it needs to be trimmed um you know we we don't get too too picky about about that anything that that needs to be cut down we'll we'll use it um anything will become charcoal it's just you get various um levels of quality depending on on you know what kind of wood you use but basically I can I can get through a full year on one kiln load and that one kiln load um, comes from basically one medium-sized tree. So all of my energy needs regarding cooking and then heating, I use it to heat my, my horikotatsu as well, my sort of sunken hearth, um, is, you know, one year, one tree. So that, that sort of 
um, gives you a good idea of sort of the the uh, energy efficiency of of turning it into charcoal and, and using it that way. It's a very very efficient system. That's amazing. How long does it take to uh, make it from wood into charcoal using the kiln? Yeah, it takes um, on average between forty-five and fifty-five hours of actual sort of firing in the kiln from the moment you you set the fire in the in the uh, fire chamber, and then you close it all down once it has gone through all of all of the stages. You know, there's various. Um, stages and the kiln continually gets hotter and hotter and you're watching sort of the smoke um both the temperature of the the smoke the color of the smoke the volume of the smoke that's coming out goes through that whole process and once it has once the the wood in there has off-gassed all of the sort of uh, undesirable uh components um you shut the shut the kiln down close it up seal it up so no oxygen can get in uh, and then basically leave it to cool for about two days or so. And once it has fully cooled, you open it up, unload the charcoal, and then you've got all the wood sort of prepared, ready for the next batch. Fill it up while the kiln is still warm and start the next batch. Um, and then sort of doing it continuously like that, keeping it so the kiln never cools down, sort of increases the efficiency of the process and um, you know keeps the keeps everything moving. Wow, amazing. But like you said, it's one tree of charcoal that is fills your needs for the year. Mm -hmm. um, that's amazing. So a lot more efficient than than burning lots of logs of wood and having to chop all the time and keep filling mm -hmm. the wood fires, right? Definitely. And there's, you know, no smoke or anything. So you can, you know, I can have it burning here, cooking in the house and there's, there's, no smoke, it lasts a really long time, you know, where if it were wood, it just sort of, you burn it off and it goes away. But the, the especially good charcoal really holds the, the flame for a long time. So you're not constantly having to, you know, uh, add more, add more fuel to the, to the fire. You kind of set it and it, it's good to go for quite a while. One thing that really surprised me um, at the Kominka Summit when I was asking, because in Japan, there's so much sugi, right? There's so much cedar. There's too much of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, oh, but you can use it in your wood stove. And people said, no, it's too oily. So can you use sugi to make charcoal, though? Or is it not really the best? You can. We, we use it in the very, uh, the section closest to the, what, what I would call, I guess, the burn box or the, the fire chamber. There's two main chambers in, in the type of kiln that, that we're using. Uh, one holds the, the wood that is going to become charcoal. And then there's a smaller section in the front of that where you actually build a fire in the beginning of the process. You, you burn wood in that front chamber to sort of raise the temperature of the main chamber. Um, and then once it gets to a certain temperature, it, it starts this process called pyrolysis. And then you don't need to burn any wood. Uh, additionally, it, it sort of creates its own heat through that process. Um, but we put sugi closest to that burn chamber because that's an area that gets really, really hot there and generally ends up turning to ash. So kind of use it as a sacrificial thing, but, but it doesn't all turn to ash. And so you do get some of that. Um, sugi turn into charcoal and and definitely it gets used you know everything that comes out of there is is being used it just doesn't um last as long it burns much more much more quickly than um sort of a hardwood based charcoal but a lot of people you know different different types of wood are used for different things so um for example um uh, blacksmiths like to use uh pine charcoal for their um you know blacksmithing needs uh i think just because it, it does have a lot more of that resin too and you can get the heat really you know really hot uh what you need for for working with iron you can probably hear chimes going in I, I hear your community notice that it's time to stop the talk show uh, <laughs> thank you so much brett thank you so much for sharing yeah. all your insights 
I would love to come visit your island. It sounds amazing. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah, wonderful. Keep up the great work. I can't wait to catch up again and uh, hear about your new project. And I'm so glad you're there. Um, there's so many rural communities, especially island communities, that just don't have people who are able to do renovations and repairs. That's a huge service to your community. It's wonderful. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks so much, Brett. Thanks, everyone, for joining. See you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye. show my tears to you i'm stronger i dropped the armor now i'm bolder